Uh, we're starting right as the like ambulances go by. It's exactly like another as disposal. Well, it's a great opening. It's a great opening. <laughs> All right, just a second. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, and I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hello, Rania. Hey, Kevin. Good to be back. We're so happy to be doing the show, and more importantly, we're happy to be doing it together because uh, you were traveling last week. I was. I was traveling last week. I'm in Beirut, Lebanon, and I got to say, like, between all the jet lag and um, just kind of getting settled in. I have no idea what is happening in the U.S. right now at all. I'm like so- it could be on fire. It could be on fire right now, and I wouldn't know. And that's maybe my opportunity to come up with some wild and crazy things that Trump could plausibly be doing that aren't mm-hmm. happening. Since we well, uh- first before we well, before we get to that, can I just tell you that um, I have had a rough couple of days. I smashed my finger in a car door like I closed the car door on my finger and my whole it's my pointer finger and my whole like nail is just black and blue it's really gross looking and it's like so swollen and it hurts like crazy and uh I gotta say I had no idea like what I had no idea one finger could be so paralyzing it's like everything is hard to do (laughs) I I don't know if I'm gonna make it Kevin I I don't know if you're gonna be able to make it either uh, it's, uh, that, that sounds like the worst kind of, th- I've had that happen before. It is the worst type of thing to have to deal with. And, and it, it is a- right on my fingertip, right on my fingertip. Like it hurts so much. It just always constantly hurts. And it's just like, it's twice its own. It's twice the size it should be. Um, and, and, and how do you type? Everything is hard. How do you type? How do I type? If you, if you've, I if just you don't lost use that my finger. pointer. I don't use my pointer finger because it hurts too much. Like every touching it, like even slightly hurts. And so everything is so hard. It's like, it's amazing. I'm just, I I feel like I, uh, I like lost a limb or something. I didn't, it's just a finger obviously, but man, I'm a baby, (laughs) (laughs) but I think I'm going to survive. I'm going to try really hard too. I can't make any promises, but I'm going to try. Okay. Well, I think, but I think I'll um, make it, you know, we need you. So, uh, yeah, you you gotta bring that uh, finger we'll back pull through life. for you guys. I'm gonna pull through for you guys. <laughs> so, no, nah, it's cool. So you're out there, and uh, you're gonna be there for a few months. Um, yes, doing journalism. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be in and out of Syria in Iraq. Or, or uh, if you which ask, be great. Or if you ask Charles Lister, you're going to be out aligning yourself with Bashar. And, um, well, I mean, friends. I pretty much just came here to like hang out with him. Cause I'm, you know, we're really good friends as, as everybody says. So, <laughs> right. Partying with, you have a sweet, with you have a sweet in his palace. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. I have like, like a sweet one sweet. No, I have like 12. <laughs> there's like, there's like, you get like a complimentary suite every time that you get called an Assadist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, I think that's no, how it should be really good. It should be really good. I'm, I'm excited into, to be here. Probably how you get booked into your room. You have to prove how many times you've been called a sadist. And then, you know, you get the best yeah, I just, room. I just collect them. I just collect them and I put them. There's like a bucket. It's like a jar, kind of like a cookie jar, except it's you. Instead of putting like coins in the jar, you put in a tweet like of somebody calling you an sadist and it gives you points. <laughs> at the palace. <laughs> All right. So before we get rolling and I bring you up to speed on America, just, you know, mm-hmm. America, the, the the vast expanse of America that dominates the globe, I have a couple comments. Uh, or we have a couple co- comments that we want to read from people. Uh, so this part of the show where we Thank everyone who supports us and uh, makes monthly pledges on our Patreon page. And so this one comes from Jason Thompson, and he's uh, responding to uh, not just the last epi- last week's episode, which I encourage you to listen to, uh, where we interviewed the filmmakers behind uh, Awake, uh, uh, the movie about the Standing Rock movement that premiered at Tribeca. But uh, Jason says, hey, Kevin and Rania. I just wanted to say I recently became a patron and I'm really enjoying the new episodes and also going through the unauthorized disclosure backlog. 
both of you keep up the good work, and I'll keep recommending your show to everyone I know. And then he makes a random suggestion and asks, If you're looking for a guest, have you ever considered Asad Abu Khalil? I love his blog, and you've all got great senses of humor, so I think it would be really fun to hear him on the air with you. Well, thank you, Jason, for becoming a patron. And yeah, uh, Asad Abu Khalil is awesome. I know him, and I that, that is somebody that I would actually love to have on the show. I should talk to him about that. Um, he's really great. He runs, in case you don't know who it is, he's the guy that runs the Angry Arab blog spot. Um, and uh, his blog is just, it's just really short posts that are usually really funny, but also very informative about various happenings in usually the Middle East uh, related to U.S. policy. So you should check that out. And then also, yeah, we'll see if we can get him on the show sometime. I'll make yeah. a note of that. Definitely like that idea. And then Matt uh, said, I hope Rania comes back soon. I miss hearing her laugh. Well, Matt, here she is. I am back. And I'm going to try and laugh as much as possible. But, man, this finger's really bringing me down. <laughs> but thank you for that kind comment. <laughs> um, so the man's not getting you down this week. The finger's getting you down. The finger, yeah. Screw the man. <laughs> um, and then uh, also uh, Matt did like our episode. Um, he said uh, that he enjoyed the interview uh, your guest laid out the threat of climate change very well. Uh, oh, he's referring to our interview with the climate scientist, Michael Mann, uh, which we put up um, a couple weekends ago. And he said uh, he uh, appreciated hearing the threat laid out very well and what we need to do to avert or mitigate the threat. Also, it didn't leave me feeling totally dis- depressed and scared shitless like your interview with Dar Jamal did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's like, I think they're kind of two mirror, like, they totally um, are opposites in that sense. Dar is definitely more of a, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? A cynic? Like, catastrophist. I don't know if that's a word. I think I just made it up, but. Realist? Um, I, I wouldn't say realist. I mean, he's like, he's like as cynical as it gets with climate change, like, as cynical as it gets. And there's a lot of climate scientists who are. And um, our interview from a couple weeks ago was definitely more um, on the optimistic side. So. Yeah. There you go. Then that's just two streams of thought that run in climate science. Um, and I tend to probably agree with more of the cynics, but it's nice to hear from the optimists too. I waffle between the two. It depends yeah, on my mood. Yeah. It depends on yeah, my mood. Yeah, there you go. Right now I'm pretty cynical because my finger's really hurting. So <laughs> it's kind of just based on my my personal mood and my physical comfort. <laughs> so so as of right now, we're all gonna die. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking good. Okay. So uh, here in the U.S., uh, I mean, I guess we can get going. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, we'll, we'll bring on uh, – we'll start on a very light note, and it's, it's really deeply impacted every person in the U.S. over the past week, but probably not you, Rania, because you've been busy doing things uh, like trying to save your finger. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, have you heard about this – uh, craze called 10 bands, one lie. Okay. I keep seeing people post that every time I have a minute to like look on Facebook and I have no idea what it's about. I just had to mention it because I find it really hilarious how visceral everybody's reaction has become to something that's really just a game. Like a lot of people were doing it and now everyone's doing it. And I don't really have a problem with it. I did it myself and I just thought it was kind of fun to like, see what kind of music people like to go see or hear or whatever and Mm -hmm. but there are some people who are like legit fucking incensed by like like to me there are lots of things i've seen on facebook that bother me and this is barely cracking the top 100 (laughs) Uh, but there are articles there are think pieces that have been written about it and uh so so there's that. I just wanted to bring you up on that. But then another area where we are uh where we have an industry of think pieces and they will never end. Uh you've been away and don't know what's going on with Berkeley and Ann Coulter over the past week. No uh, idea. I have not even heard of this like literally before we started recording you mentioned it and I had I mean not a word. I've not heard a word about this. There are two parts to this. One, we've talked about on our show uh, free speech and this idea of disinviting people from campuses and this idea of uh, canceling speeches. Uh, And so we may get into that again. But there's another area of this. The ACLU came out 
and they said it was wrong for the university to do to do what happened to Ann Coulter. And there are liberals, there are leftists, there are people who just got completely angry with uh, the ACLU for taking this position, uh, which is ba- a basic defense of the First Amendment position to say that you know even unpopular speech should be allowed to be expressed on campus. The, uh, the ACLU uh, National Legal Director David Cole uh, just declared, uh, the unacceptable threats of violence mm-hmm. that have led to the heckler's veto of Ann Coulter's speech at Berkeley are inconsistent with free speech principles that protect us all from government overreach. Hateful speech has consequences, particularly for people of color, LGBTQ people, immigrants, and others who have been historically marginalized. But if the government gets to decide which speech counts as hate speech, the powers that be may later feel free to censor any speech they don't like. For the future of our democracy, we must protect bigoted speech from government censorship on college campuses. That means that the best way to combat hateful speech is through counter speech, vigorous and creative protest, and debate, not threats of violence or censorship. Okay, that's fair. Is, and, I'm so, is that supposed to make me mad? And, and that led people to become irate. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it's, it's a very... I have a very nihilistic point of view about all of this, Rania. Having uh, having already made a very fair and uh, reasonable argument on this show about what I think people are doing when they protest people. Um, I'm not just talking about Milo, but let's just talk about like Ann Coulter and um, Charles Murray and these other conservative figures that have experienced these sorts of uh, issues in the past months. I have a nihilistic view now because I don't understand. Uh, I, I think both sides are just really impossible to get behind. Uh, they're they're mm-hmm. they're both uh, groupings of individuals that are campaigning to be the worst of the worst. Honestly, I mean, I don't understand. Let, let's take first the people who are closer to our side politically. I don't understand the people in the so-called black bloc that think they have to be out there um, to take on the neo-Nazis or to drive people off campus. And and, and I've come to the realization, I think it's very very easy to make this uh, statement because of what Berkeley is, that uh, there is a specific culture to Berkeley. These are individuals who are not doing organizing. They're not doing anything to combat or resist Trump. They're not organizing around... uh, abolishing prisons, the police, doing anything meaningful to change society. They just want to do activisty things and they just want to be part of some culture and they think, oh, the thing to do is we're going to go to campus and we're going to stop Ann Coulter from speaking. And they're going to fight neo-Nazis. They're going to punch neo-Nazis and that's going to be the thing that, uh, that they do. It's not going to amount to anything, but that's what they're going to do because that's what they feel like doing. I mean, maybe that's true. I'm, I don't know what these people are thinking. Um, I really don't. And I mean, you know, is it like, if, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm not big on the idea of, um, of absolutes. Yeah, like, I don't like absolutes. I, and I think my, my point is more of like choices. It's not to say that you don't have a right to go there and confront these people, but to quickly pivot to Ann Coulter, uh, this is a provocateur, a performance artist, a scum. You know, you could go down the list of whatever words you want to use to describe her, lest I remind you that what people are doing to her actually gives her her career. Her career is yeah. her, her career is made by agitating people on the left and liberals in general. Here are her titles of her books. I just want to be very blatant and remind people. Adios America, the left's plan to turn our country into a third world hellhole. Demonic, how the liberal mob is endangering America. Treason, liberal treachery from the Cold War to the war on terrorism. So I mean, these books are basically written and when she goes to these campuses... She knows what she's doing, and she gets a reaction that she wants, 
and then it gives her material for her next book. No, totally. Like you said, she's a provocateur. Her whole career is made off of this. This is what has elevated her platform is just saying really insane shit. Like that's what she does. That's her whole shtick is just saying the most right wing inflammatory, um, infuriating things that are going to get a reaction out of her at her, you know, the people she considers her enemies. And so they give her exactly what she wants when they do this to her. Um, this is what she's hoping for. Like, this is exactly what Ann Coulter wants when she goes to a campus. And I want this exact behavior. I really, really don't like that. These are the people who get out on television in front of citizens and get to present themselves as free speech heroes. They just. Yeah, no, it bothers me, me too, because that's exactly it's bullshit. No, it's bullshit, because like, I mean, this is one thing I have appreciated about the ACLU. I got to say is that, you know, they make it so you can say, no, actually, like, we're the free speech heroes. <laughs> and another thing, too, is, like, the ki- like when it comes to people like Ann Coulter, you know, the kind of shit that she complains happens to her actually really, like, with, like, people, like, clamping down on free speech, that shit actually happens to the left. That's who it gets used against. It never gets used against the right in any significant way. Not that I want it to because, you know, I don't think we should be stifling speech, but it's the left that always gets cut off and cut down. So I do want to say that the way that Berkeley canceled the speech is uh, – or uh, I have to be careful. It wasn't really canceled. Uh, they they used um, a, a lack of will to secure the campus in order to convince uh, the sponsoring Republican student groups to back out. And then Ann Coulter was in this position where she – you know, could choose a date. She could choose May second, but it would have been dead on campus because people weren't going to be there. They were working on exams and stuff, and so um, she ended up not taking the offer. But what happens is, I really want people to consider, you know, the climate that we're in with the neo or proto fascists that are taking over our government with the the different pockets of, of far-right ideologues that are, are, are rising and coming to the forefront here in our country, and what might happen if we had a left-wing speaker who was on Berkeley's campus and you basically just had white supremacists that wanted to go take on that speaker, or you had emboldened far-right um, people with ties to the GOP who wanted to protest for some particular reason. Because what they did, Rania was they essentially decided that they could not provide security for Ann Coulter's speech because there are going to be people there, um, like the protesters who organized under the banner of Black Bloc, and there was going to be a standoff uh, also because they knew that Nazis or white supremacists were going to come out too. They had pledged like to la- come like out. It happened yeah. last time. Yeah. It like happened last time. And so what they're doing is they're saying, we are not going to make it a, uh, we are not going to create the space for her to give her speech. And so, therefore, it cannot happen. And I think as a government institution, that's really problematic. Well, no, it's problematic because that's actually, like, that's what gets used against people like us. More than anything else, that's, where, that's what it will get used against. Like, people need to, to keep that in mind. This, that was not a victory. Yeah. Uh, and uh, lastly, I just have a fantasy. I have, uh, I, I'm one of those people who dreams of a world that we'll probably never get. But wouldn't it be really great if Ann Coulter said she was going to go speak on one of these well-known liberal campuses, and we all just shrugged, and we were like, that's boring, and we just turned away, and we let her go (laughs) give her fucking speech, and we never even knew what she said, and nobody even cared if she went on Fox News to talk about what she had said to liberals, because it's boring, and it's meaningless. That would be like a dream. There are, like, real things that we have to worry about, and and we we can move on to those things. Like, um, I wanted to bring in... Uh, just, I just wanted to mention uh, a piece that went around that did uh, get a lot of attention this past week, and it was uh, written, um, well, it was published at the Huffington Post, and the article was called Inside the Immigrant Prosecuting Machine that Transformed America's Deportation Policy, and it was written by uh, Rock Planus, or Planus, and... Uh, he uh, did a very good 
piece devoid of partisan politics that looked at past Democratic and Republican administrations and how there is this machine now that Donald Trump has. Uh, we've talked about it in terms of a machine that is now built that Donald Trump's able to drive now. And I just wanted to read these statistics for you and, and you can react. So uh, there were 91,000 immigrant prosecutions in 2013. That's 28 times the number in 1993. Damn! Uh, illegal entry and re-entry now make up almost half of all federal criminal prosecutions. And uh, just to add a little icing to that stat, Clinton fast-tracked deportations and helped lay the foundation for the immigrant detention system. Well, I'm glad that somebody wrote that because that's been getting left out of a lot of this shit. Like, nobody wants to talk about the fact, like, everybody wants to make a big deal about the deportations now, and they should be making a big deal. But yeah, who laid the groundwork? That's something we've talked about on the show a lot. Um, and beyond that, you know, there was no resistance to it during Obama, and that's really troubling that it was up that high. Yeah. Uh, and so this was a good piece. Uh, there were some uh, people interviewed for it and and profiled so you can get uh, what they've endured. I, one of the people who was prosecuted even gave up their confidentiality because they wanted to tell their story, which is pretty powerful. Wow. Um, wow. So... Um, uh, Moving on. Did anybody, did, did anybody share this story? Was it even popular? Were people like, whatever? Oh, no. I, saw, it, I, get saw, a good response? I saw it go around quite a bit. Uh, and, good. you know, perhaps people listening are hearing about it for the first time. But it, it was a good piece of journalism, uh, which uh, Huffington Post could publish some more of. Just a little. Yeah, Huffington Post is a Huffington Post does publish some really good shit a lot of the time. Actually, yeah, no, I they do say. have some. They do have some good reporters. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's see. Let's talk about. Um, you wanted to talk about the election of Saudi Arabia to that Women's Rights Commission. Yeah, the UN Women's Rights Commission got a lovely elected, I should say, addition to its uh, council. Um, for, again, women's rights, and that is the country of Saudi Arabia. Um, I have to say, as a woman who is not only from the Middle East, but is currently in the Middle, Middle East, uh, I can say I already do feel very, very liberated um, just knowing that Saudi Arabia is, you know, on this, sitting on this council of countries that is making sure that the rights of women like myself um, remain, I don't know, protected. <laughs> What a fucking joke. Jesus Christ. I think like the head of um the head of some organization was like it's like putting an arsonist in charge of like of putting out a fire. It's so ridiculous. Like I want to know what country I think it was anonymous who elected it, who elected Saudi Arabia, but I want to know what countries thought it was a good idea to put Saudi Arabia on the women's right. It's a, it's a joke. That's what a fucking joke. I mean, need I remind our listeners? I'm sure they already know, but Women in Saudi Arabia need a male guardian to travel outside of the home. Yeah. Women in Saudi Arabia cannot are not allowed to drive or get a driver's license. That's like that's like the most well-known thing about Saudi Arabia. But the most important factor here is you do not, as a woman, ever get to like be in charge of yourself ever. You are always like basically treated like a child. And a man, the man in your life, whether it's your father or your husband, has ownership over you, like you're a pet or something. It's it's a, it's sick, so I don't know who's like who was just like fucking around and thought this would be funny, but you got me. It's really funny, <laughs> Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no, that's definitely unbelievable. And uh, so Al Qaeda, maybe maybe we should put Al Qaeda in charge of like <laughs> protecting women and minority rights or something uh, in the region. Well, the uh, you know when. Uh, Donald Trump succeeds in liberating Syria and putting uh, the former, some former ISIS group in charge of running Syria. Then they can become the leader can, of the Women's yeah. Rights Commission. They can be. They can be the next Saudi Arabia if they're really lucky. That's probably their dream, right? That is the yeah, totally. Oh my God, so they they they're like Saudi's competition. 
Uh, Anyways. So, uh, and you, so you've been away, and you're probably not aware uh, that President Donald Trump has been very busy uh, making our country great again, or uh, completely moving it closer to destruction and ruin. Uh, hey, those things are not mutually exclusive, though, right? Like, well, we can have a pretty great. I, I believe we can have a pretty great America if uh, we're all just living in some hellscape where we can't find food or water or ways to. Well, it'll take really care put things family. in perspective. It'll really put things in perspective. I saw a headline that Donald Trump is like going to get rid of abortion access or something. Well, I don't know what that is. Um, okay. That, I don't know. I can't keep up with the news from here. It's hard because well, I'm just like it's hard tired. from afar when you have limited amount of time because there are uh, these sites that just give the most, uh, uh, I guess, crazy headlines or those wild, exaggerated headlines where they take this little kernel and they blow it up and as you know, you can't really say that. That's not what he's doing. I haven't heard anything about that, and believe me. Uh, I would have because Twitter would have told me a lot about something like that. Uh, yeah, you know, well, I, I got to say, like, watching – and I haven't had a chance to as much yet, but, like, watching U.S. stuff from the outside, it's amazing how, like, detached you can be just because it's not really, like, immediate anymore. You know, it's not right in front of you because you're not there. Like, the U.S. is not the center of the universe. <laughs> well, that's not bad. So let me tell you that on uh, this past week it would have been – April 26th. Um, This was how the day went. So in the span of about 12 to 16 hours, we got a tax plan from Donald Trump that had been long awaited. But, you know, in case you were wondering who it was going to help, it was it was like people. It's going to help the poorest people in America, right? Ding, 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 ding. Uh, (laughs) No. And uh, it was mostly like he had just come up with a package deal for his family so that his family could have lower taxes and um and then any of his like <laughs> f- any friends of the family so it's just like um that like he w- wrote it like his tax it was just like anybody who makes as much as my daughter yeah <laughs> like is that like okay yeah and That's then nice. of course typical in how tone deaf democrats and liberals are the first thing they said was should donald trump be issuing a tax plan when he hasn't shown us his tax returns oh my god what is his obsession with his tax returns like seriously of all the things to be so obsessed about like let's say trump releases them and they're all fucked up you think it's gonna make a difference the guy said the guy said that he goes pussy grabbing he said he goes pussy grabbing, and everybody heard him say it, and it didn't make a difference. Right. His tax returns not going to make a difference. Like, what is a guy? I hate Democrats sometimes. God damn it. Yeah. So Sorry. I think that, like, the way that people should have reacted is somewhere closer to how Bernie reacted. So let's just give you uh, a quick here. Okay. At a time when Trump wants to make major cuts in education, health care, senior programs, nutrition— and affordable housing, it is especially outrageous that he would pr- propose the elimination of the estate tax and provide a $353, uh, $3 billion do- uh, tax giveaway to the wealthiest 0.2%, including a tax break of up to $4 billion to the Trump family. Wow. See, there you go. That is how you respond. you got to bring class now into I'm it. Mad. Now I'm mad, but now I'm, yeah, now I'm pissed. Yeah. Like, yeah, compared that to why is Trump still not released his tax returns before putting out a tax plan? Like, compare the, your response to those two things. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. And, why, I, guys? So God, also in this can't... day, uh, and this is we're still talking one single day, uh, we got a new health reform bill. And the way that they think they're going to get it passed the way they think, I want to say, I want to emphasize they, because I don't think it's going to pass, but they think it will pass by removing coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Oh, well, that's, that, God, they're so lovely. <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes I just, like, don't know what to expect from Republicans. I'm like, what are they, what lovely piece of legislation are they going to push through today on health care? And it's always something that literally might kill someone or it, more people than someone. It is. Uh, Sorry, I'm not speaking appropriate English at the moment because I'm a little bit tired, but bear no, with me. Anyways. That's fine. I 
I think and my finger back to my finger. Sorry. Yeah, is my finger going to be a pre-existing condition? It it might uh, if you don't have insurance <laughs> yet to cover yourself. Yeah. So when you come with that broken finger or bruised finger, you might not be able to get that treated. Yes. Hope it better not get worse while you're overseas. I hope it doesn't. Now I'm really concerned. <laughs> but it's not. You don't think it's gonna pass though. I'm like now. See now I'm freaked out. I'm like, wait, no, it's I don't. Pass? Th- I don't think it will okay. because this was the thing that moderate Republicans didn't want to have removed. It was like the one thing in Obamacare that everyone had decided they liked. And now you've got this most extreme so-called freedom caucus. They're like, oh great, we can. We can fuck people who are just generally have bad conditions that they were born with. Yeah, let's do it. The Freedom Caucus, that's such a funny name. I feel like their like their sign, like their like brand um logo should be like a pair of shackles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just yeah. like it's like cuz it's like the iron, you know, it's so ironic. It's called the Freedom Caucus anyways. <laughs> a pair of shackles and like a grave plot cuz you know, <laughs> they want to kill you. They want to shackle you and kill you. <laughs> very very slowly they want you to die due to lack of health insurance and they want to imprison you for like debt or like for because you couldn't pay your debt it's just like a something. gun and a shovel and it's like you're on your own <laughs> yeah, there we go. like dirt and a shovel and like there's like a <laughs> pair of shackles <laughs> uh, there's your freedom caucus launch uh, <laughs> so also on this day we got uh plans to review Federal monuments and national parks. Why? Because Donald Trump's planning to redevelop and sell off some of this land to his cronies. So that ought to be nice. Uh, hope I hope you got to love how with Trump, everything's just like so blatant in your face and like nothing is done about it. He's just like giving favors to his friends, you know, and like cutting the taxes for his. Like, he probably has like his daughter's name written into the into the tax plan. Like Ivanka especially gets this much in taxes cut. Like, so that was one day. And also in this day, we were 90% sure that Donald Trump was also going to pull out a NAFTA, which, you know, personally, I could, I could take it or leave it. I don't, if, if that happens, all right. But, uh, that was another case. No, the Congress isn't going to let him. That's like, they're, yeah. Congress and the Senate, he's not going to be able to do that with their, they're not going to approve that. But it was um, it was faked and it, it didn't happen and uh, he decided against it and it's it's just all for show. So that was that was Wednesday and that's what you missed while you were overseas. Wait, that was the same day. Wait, that was the same day. Still, all of those things were just in one day. It was it was incredible. It's just like one whammy I'm- after another. I feel exhausted from like just having like gone through each of those points. I can't believe all that happened in one day, but then I guess I can because it is Donald Trump. Jesus. Yeah. The news cycle. That's why I'm so happy, honestly, to be just out of D.C. Because you can't keep up. Like you just cannot keep up with that. It's You cannot keep up with the news cycle at all. It's impossible. It just – you end up dizzy. It's like every other thing is like life sapping. So here's another thing I wanted to just mention and apparently now – our uh, gremlin of an EPA administrator has backed out of doing this, but Scott Pruitt is uh, was going to go back to Oklahoma, where he was the I attorney general. A gremlin, it just hit me. You call him a gremlin. I like that. Sorry. Continue. I, uh, I see every single person in Donald Trump's cabinet as some kind of member of like a monster squad. And they're just like multiplying. We put yeah. water on them or something. Okay. Well, you just have to. Well. Uh, Actually, that w- that could happen with someone like Scott Pruitt. Um, <laughs> God. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you give him you give him this position, it seems like it gets a foothold, and suddenly the government is pro climate denial. So, anyways, uh, he was going to go to Oklahoma and do a headline a GOP fundraising event, and he was going to give a speech and. Um, it promoted the chance to see Pruitt as um, by soliciting sponsorships, so people could pay two thousand to five thousand dollars to hear him speak at this fundraiser. <laughs> uh, and the big thing was that they were selling uh, that he was going to be there. The EPA administrator is coming. The guy who's going to drain the swamp is here. Um, uh, the invitation said, "Make sure to purchase your." Galah tickets so you don't miss out on Administrator Pruitt's future plans and how he will continue to drain the swamp. 
This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so buy your tickets before they sell out. Um, so uh, part of what happened is somewhat to the credit of one senator, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, who pointed out that this would be violating the Hatch Act, which is a 1939 mm -hmm. law that prevents federal officials from using their office for political purposes. And so now Pruitt's not going to do it because it was just, unlike you say, everything in the Trump administration, at, the one thing we can be grateful for is that it is so brazen, and when they get caught with their hands in the cookie jar, uh, seven times out of ten, they don't actually go through with it. They don't actually, like, stick to it. Yeah, they, like, have, like, a, the attention span of, um, of, like, a cat. They're like, oh, you got me. Well, then I you guess like I'll have to do it. Moving on, yeah. I mean, I'm moving not, on. it's not like I wouldn't do it, but now that you know that I'm doing it, I, I'm going to have to find a different way to do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, and so wait, so well, but that's I'm glad that that is so like he's not gonna be able to talk. He's not gonna be able to speak at this thing. Yeah, he's not gonna do it because he'd be violating the law. He'd be um, I don't know like how the process would unfold to uh, go after him, but it's a it's a clear violation of federal law. Well, then I'm good. I'm glad that they're not gonna be able to do it. And I mean, there's like every once in a while, there's a victory. So there's that. <laughs> Um, and... What else you got? Keep bringing them. Keep, keep un unloading the, the depressed... Well, I'm, like, getting the week's, like, I'm getting, like, the summary of the week's news that I missed. So, after we post this, there will have been a big, massive climate march here in the United States. And I think it's just important to, again, express support for what people are doing. I don't, uh... There's a lot of people who are coming out to march for the first time still. Uh, I, I've, it's easy to criticize what happened with the March for Science because it was mostly just like academics. Oh, and so I actually missed that. Can you tell me, like, what, what, what was that? I was kind of confused. Well, it's possible that you um, missed it because the United States media just didn't really seem to care. Uh, are you serious? I mean, there were... Uh, tens of thousands of people in cities um, all, all over. Uh, it, it was a huge, massive outpouring. You know, barely half of what the Women's March did, but still incredible. And it didn't end up on CNN. Uh, there really weren't images um, going around on MSNBC for the most part. It was just, you know, there was a, there were other stories of the day that were being It wasn't talked sexy about. enough. Yeah, just, I don't know. And some people were saying, um, uh, what was a march for science was what it was called. But I saw something where, like, CNN was saying it was a march by scientists instead of calling it the March for Science. They were oh. like, it's a march by scientists. Because <laughs> they didn't okay. want to, like, I guess they didn't want to, like, say it that. Was all, so it was all scientists? Like, all of it was scientists? Well, so it was Is led, it was led by so similar to when we talked to Michael Mann on our show a couple weekends ago, the whole point of organizing was because Donald Trump's administration is attacking science and right. what uh, you know what these people came out to do and to organize around was to say that uh, you know, we need to defend funding for research, we need to stick up for scientists, uh, stop talking about them. Like they're communists. I mean, that's the way that the, <laughs> geo the GOP Basically. is treating them like they're closet scientists. Uh, sorry, closet communists that have uh, infiltrated I wish our they government. Were, but yeah, they're not. I wish they were communist scientists. Like it would be really great. Um, that would be awesome. But yeah, they're not. Like uh, in case anybody in the GOP is listening, I can vouch for the fact that they are not. But closet you know, communists. the whole point was to uh, push uh, this this thing and celebrate science. At a time when people are uh, moving away from these these fact-based... I mean, just take the issue of climate change, which is really what these scientists were motivated by. We do not have a society and a media and a culture that lets those facts rise to the top and dominate over people who are still saying what only, like, three scientists say. It's just like, oh... Um, those numbers are faked, it's fraudulent, they're hyping, they're exaggerating the threat, it's not a thing. And, uh, this yeah, is what we have to do. Yeah, truth-telling scientists of Exxon. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they really are those, those maverick rabble-rousers at Exxon. 
So while it maybe didn't have, um, I was like the core principles that they organized around was that science serves the common good, evidence-based policy and regulations uh, need to be in place because they're in the public interest. We need cutting-edge science education. Can you really tell how far we've regressed as a people that, like, these are the when things... When that's your, like, demands. Like, wow, these are yeah, the things that It's really sad. This is what's drawing 40,000, 50,000 people into the streets, city to city, and, and, you know, in the main urban centers of America. This is what was going on. So, um, yeah, they came out. Uh, they wanted open, honest science and inclusive public outreach. They want... And then, like I said, funding... Um, and the goals were to you know, get the public engaged and interested in science and to get people interested in how science is vital to our country. And, and again, like just very upsetting that and this is the battle we have to now fight. And then I don't know why it was separate, but we can't have too many uh, marches of environmentalists and scientists. So uh, on April... 29th there is a people's climate march which i think is more of like the people who have been organizing around our revolution and um these other things like the uh, bernie sanders crowd uh, bill mckibben and and so mm-hmm. uh they're going to be marching so when the show posts people will probably see some good images of mobilizations around that and so i leave you with this one depressing statistic about climate change, uh, just to keep you all terrified. But really, we, we need to just keep taking action because there's um, so uh, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change put out some a, a new report, which it's always frightening these days when we get any new report because it's going to get worse. Uh, apparently, the Arctic's contribution to global sea level rise is expected to go to at least 19 or 25 centimeters, which means basically that um, we're gonna we're going towards these levels where we're gonna start seeing lands that have typically been shorelines, uh, like those are gonna be buried underwater. Um, the, the the melting is 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 not good. Um, they're saying that the Arctic Ocean could be largely ice free in summer as early as the late 2030s. That influx. Jesus of, Christ, are you serious? And that an influx of warmer water could alter climate as far south as the tropics. Um, that's really, that's really, really, really alarming. So uh, I agree. I, um, I, I take the analysis of Bill McKibben uh, to be true and what people should be following. And uh, I don't think it should be controversial that. Uh, but I think we should be clear. So uh, Donald Trump is wasting our time. Everything that he's doing is wasting yeah. precious time when we need to be fighting climate change. Even this dithering about whether he's going to leave the Paris deal or not, like that's precious. Like he's, wa- he's wasting our time. Um, and uh, the fact that he wants to reopen Arctic Ocean drilling for oil and um, all of these different things like uh, – opening up federal lands to it's because what they so what he's going to sell those lands off to around monuments it'll go to developers or even like drillers of natural gas and uh people who are oil companies uh people that run the oil companies so that's that's where that land's going to go it's going to go to extractive industry and that's really terrible but then i think we should also keep a realistic mind about what it would have been like if hillary clinton was our president I, I think it's hard to argue. I think it's hard to argue that we'd be in the same, that we'd be in. I mean, I think it's hard to argue that we'd be in the same place in terms of um, what we'd be talking about. <laughs> no, I don't think uh, so. But I think that there would be the same dithering around yes, uh, taking action on climate change. Yeah, that would be. I think that there, there definitely would be. But there would also be, you know, it would in a way like under Hillary Clinton, there would also be less alarm. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But at the same time, it would just kind of be like, you know, just going through the – she'd be going through the motions of, like, the Paris Accord yeah. while continuing to do the same shit that every president has done. It, um, it would be a situation – really scary. Like, it, yeah. It would just be in a situation where people were ignoring what needed to be done. Yeah. So I don't even know – neither of these scenarios is good is the point. Like, neither yeah. of these scenarios is good, but at least – the one thing you can say is under Hillary Clinton, there would be, I think, a little bit more potential to push. 
Yes. Um, but um, I don't know. We we just that's. I mean, it's a guessing game. You don't. I mean, that's just something that you will never actually know. Although, you know, what really does freak me out about all of this is that, you I mean, when you say that the sea levels are going to rise that much in the summertime, there won't be any ice in the Arctic. I mean, that's without even taking into account all of the, like, the domino effect that that has on various ecosystems. Oh, yeah. Like, of warmer water. You know, like, it's like that doesn't take into account all of the other shit that happens as a result of that. Yeah, the you wildlife. Know? Like, the changes uh, yeah. in the water. Yeah. Which Donald really, Trump really, really scary. No, and, mm-hmm. and and just to be clear, because I don't want to end the show and then people come at me and go, Kevin, you don't honestly think Hillary Clinton would have been worse than Donald Trump. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, no, no I'm, one said that. I'm saying I, that, I, I literally just said that she would be better. It would be better opportunities under Hillary Clinton. No, no question. And I think that that's something. I don't think that's debatable. I think that you would at least have somebody who understood that climate change was a threat. Um, But, again, I think this is a trouble with our politics and why we have to take advantage of our moment. Because you have a party that believes climate change is a hoax and or believes that because they're getting paid by people who are in industry and they need to create doubt about whether it's real. And then they have another party that says it's a threat, but we have to be very careful about how we proceed to respond to the threat uh, and we can't move too fast because we don't, want, we, don't want we don't want communism to happen, you know? Yeah. And also it's like, we have an economy we have to take care of. Even if the economy is built in such a way that we could be dead in the next 20 or 30 years, who cares? We have to be careful about how we proceed forward. So. We have to maintain, we have to maintain the ability of capitalism to exist. <laughs> right. Basically. So, so there's that. Um, or we get into like natural gas and we think that that's actually saving us from climate change when it's got methane emissions that are possibly worse than or actually are provably worse than CO2. So there's that. What a shit show. Well, I need something good. Did anything good happen this week? Well, um, have you... Uh... Have you been that's follow- a, that's a have really you, great answer. Have you? Kevin. No, no, really, I think really great answer. I think there's a good way to end <laughs> the show, and um, you, uh, we'll do a combo. So, and these are both light stories. Have you been following the stuff that's been coming out from uh, the book that was written about Hillary Clinton and her campaign? It's called uh, Shattered. And uh, no, but I got. It. I love the title. That sounds great. It's um, very accurate. And we get some insight into Hillary Clinton's campaign, and it is as bit as horrible and uh, fantastic as you would hope. <laughs> so, so, so basically, there were like people in her campaign who thought that she had no idea how to articulate why she wanted to be president. Wow, weird. It's almost like they might have been right by saying that. <laughs> and they were and they were baffled that like weeks in she still couldn't she she seemed to be like grasping for straws as like, what can I say to people about what I wanna do? Like, okay, we totally get that, Hillary. You just felt like you had to run for president, but like you didn't really want to run for president. Anyways, um uh one person uh, recalls that she's a very religious person. Uh she didn't smoke, drink, or swear. Always very polite. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. Yeah, that doesn't. Sorry, seem... she totally swore. You know, she. You know, f bombs are flying out left and right in yeah. between. Like, anyways. I don't believe. I don't. I don't believe that, friend. But um, I do believe this. A lot of times, Hillary would snap her fingers and go gum, and Huma would fetch it. <laughs> Abedin. Oh man! Wow. Abedin took her wow. duty. This is, and then this is the kicker. Abedin took her duties so seriously, the source recalled, that when she learned that Clinton had once carried her own bag up a flight of stairs in her aide's absence, Abedin nearly burst into tears. Wow. Which is some... Wow. Which is some crude offensive... She's like a robot. Some crude offensive... She's like a robot. This is like the lifestyles of the rich and famous that is most crass. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like Donald Trump behavior. (laughs) Some might say. Like, shh. Making people feel worthless if they don't serve your wants and needs. They get you the wrong kind of, like, coffee or something. <laughs> Ugh. Um, and then the other thing was... Oh, oh, and you should react to this. I want to get your reaction to this. Um, 
So you were at the DNC. Uh, we sent you, Shadowproof sent you to That's cover. And you, rem- you remember being there when everyone was um, being controlled and there was an effort to show that everyone was unified on TV and there were like the counter chants of Hillary or USA, USA to silence people. And so apparently in this book, uh, it's revealed that it was uh, Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver who cut a deal with the Clinton campaign to... Um, to silence uh, Sanders supporters. Well, so that that was like the word on the street, actually. Yeah. Like that, that with Sanders campaign cut a deal. I don't know what they got in return. I have no idea. Like, it doesn't look like much, but yeah, yeah, well, it's a fucking shame. Well, like Robbie Mook, who should never get to run a presidential campaign ever again in the history of the United States, uh, unless he wants to go run a GOP campaign, that'd be fine. But, um, <laughs> But uh, he was like, he got on the phone and he was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? When he looked at the images of all, everybody on the first night. Because you, you remember, the, you said the first night was pretty uh, dynamic and energetic. Mm-hmm. It was. All right. And so the last thing I'll leave you with is, uh, and get this image in your head. So we all remember that Bernie Sanders uh, was in Portland, Oregon. And then the bird landed on um, his uh, lectern where he was speaking. Mm-hmm. And Birdie Sanders, they called it. Yeah, and it started the whole, like, meme. So uh, I love this. So Tom Perez was um, coming out of, uh, I think, a business or um, maybe, like, a cafe or restaurant, and a bird shit on him. (laughs) That's fucking awesome. (laughs) Yes, that is the best ending for this show. I think my favorite show ending ever. I'll let you sign off. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Kevin, for uh, bringing me up to date in this week that I've been half asleep, basically. So I guess we'll be back next week with hopefully a guest and um, and also some more uh, shit to talk about. 